Okay, so we're going to jump into it tonight. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, all the verses are going to be up there, so it's not a problem. But it's kind of cool to have your own Bible, so you can look at it. You don't just have to take my word for it. You can underline, you can make notes, whatever you need to do. Uh, if you didn't already guess, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about man, what it means to be an authentic Christian, an authentic believer, the genuine article. And the, the title of the series that we're kicking off with the, the, the first part of tonight is called Authentic Faith. Authentic faith. What does it mean to have real, genuine, authentic faith? Which is the, that's the focus of uh, the book of James here. Um, we, you guys listed a bunch of fun products. You know, Jackie mentioned Hershey's syrup. Um, and I know that the hard way. I know that the hard way because I've gone to the store. Jackie says, I need, I need some chocolate syrup to make some chocolate milk. And I go and I see the Hershey's syrup. But then I see that the Kroger brand is like a full dollar cheaper. So I'm like, come on, this is a no-brainer. And I bring it home. And I'm going back to the store because I got it wrong, right? It's got to be Hershey's. It's got to be Hershey's, right? So now I know better. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm getting, I'm getting Hershey's. Um, and and so some, some stuff like it has, is, it's like that. You've got to have the, the genuine article, the name brand, or it's not the same. Uh, my son... Uh, for, for about a year or two was really into this one kind of toy. Some of you guys have heard of it, some of you guys haven't. I'm going to try to explain it if you hadn't. Uh, it's a top that battles against other tops in this arena called Beyblade. So some of you guys heard of it? If you've not heard of it, uh, it, these little plastic bits of metal tops you make together, you spin them real fast, you put them in this little bowl arena, and you battle with your friends. And the last top spinning is the winner, right? So Thomas... Thomas got big into this for, for a year or two, uh, and for his birthday, he was wanting some more of these battle tops, more of these Beyblades. And so, uh, and these things are a little bit expensive in the store. You go to Walmart, you go to Toys R Us, and, uh, and, and they cost a little bit. So I do what I do. I say, man, I, I, can, I, can, I can probably get this cheaper online, right? So I get on Amazon, I get on eBay, and sure enough, I find it much, much cheaper online. Uh, and, and so I order, you know... You know, straight from Japan. I can't. I can't make it out. It is a Beyblade. I can tell in the picture, but, but the box, the box writing is all in Japanese, so I don't know. But it's it's so much cheaper, and so I order a whole box of them for his birthday, right? And so so Thomas opens these up on his birthday. Uh, they're not the name brand. They're not the name brand, but they they look like Beyblades, and so he, he puts them together. And uh, and and the very first time he uses them, the very first time he sets it spinning there in the little the little arena, the very first time they smack into each other. These uh, the, the cheap, <laughs> the cheap imitation Beyblades that I found, they shatter to pieces, right? The plastic breaks off, the metal bends, the, the thing is destroyed. It doesn't even make it more than a spin or two, and it's done. It doesn't matter that it was cheaper. It was the imitation. It wasn't the real thing. It was, it was, it was fake, uh, and, and it was a mess. So I felt so bad because this is his birthday present, and I'm, dude, I'm so sorry. Let me tell you what I did. I bought these. I didn't even know what it was. Uh, we're going to go We're gonna go make it right. We're going to go to Walmart and get you some real ones. Um, but anyway. You gotta have you gotta have the real deal, the genuine article name brand Beyblades, because anything else is just gonna it's gonna shatter to pieces there in the arena. Um, if I were to offer you guys uh, for for my meat lovers, my people that enjoy a good piece of meat, if I were to offer you a real genuine article juicy sirloin steak, right, hot off the grill, hot off the grill, melt in your mouth, genuine. No. Genuine sirloin steak, or I have I have an imitation sirloin steak. It's steak like, it's steak flavored. It's similar to steak, and it's on the plate. It's also fresh off the grill, and, and it has it has some similarities to steak, 
Which would you rather have? The fake one. Yeah, you'd want the genuine article. It's a trick question. You want the genuine article, right? You want the real thing. Um, and, and so, so man, it's the same way. It's the same way with our faith in God. It's the same way with our our relationship with God. Man, we want the real thing. We want the genuine article. We don't want to have the kind of faith in God that's like those imitation Beyblades of the first sign of conflict. They shatter to pieces, right? We want the real thing. We want the real thing. And God wants the real thing from us. Um, so tonight we're going to kick off a brand new short series in Chi Alpha called Authentic Faith. We're going to be looking at the New Testament letter of James. James is towards the end of your Bible, right after Hebrews, uh, one of the last letters there in the book. A short book, just five chapters. Uh, we're going to be covering it in these next couple weeks uh, throughout the rest of the semester. And we're going to be looking at what James teaches us about the way our faith should impact the way we live. You know, the way, the, the, the way you believe in God, uh, your faith in God, it should impact every detail of your life. It should affect your day-to-day life. When I look at your life, I should see a difference if you're a believer. If you're following Jesus, your life should look different than your neighbor's life, right? Your life should look different than the next guy's life. A lot of people talk about having faith in God. You guys hear it. Man, we live, we live in the South. We live in the Bible Belt. A lot of people talk about having faith in the Lord, faith in God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. A lot of people talk about that. But then you see it nowhere in their life, right? Other than them saying, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, my grandma goes to church, right? A lot of people talk about, talk about a faith in God. But then you see it nowhere in their life. Their life looks just like everybody else's life. For James, James says that is absolutely ridiculous. If you've got a relationship with God, if your life is being transformed by a relationship with God through Jesus, um, and that should impact your life. I should be able to see that in the way you live. It should affect your day-to-day. And, and that's what James, if I, if I could boil James down to a single thought, that's what James is about. If you've got a life-transforming relationship with God, I should be able to see that in your life. It should affect how you live, how you think, how you speak, how you treat other people. All those kind of things should be affected by our faith in God. And, and, and those things that we do, those things that we say, those, those don't make us right with God. Those don't save us. As we talked about a minute earlier, only Jesus can do that. Uh, but if you do have that relationship with God because Jesus saved you, man, I should be able to see it. I should be able to see it in your life. And so the focus of tonight, um, we're going to be talking about trusting God through trials, trusting God through difficulties. Has everybody, anybody in this room ever had a difficult season, a struggling Struggle bus season. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody at some point. And so, man, this first, this first bit of the first chapter of James is talking about, man, if you have a life-transforming relationship with God and I should be able to see the difference in your life, what does it look like when you're struggling? What does it look like in a difficult season and how do we trust God through trials? So before we jump into it, uh, we need to set up a couple things. First of all, who is James? Right? Who is James? The book has his name on it. Who is James? Um, so if, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with James, James is the brother of Jesus. He's sibling of Jesus, younger brother of Jesus. Now whether, you know, this is Mary and Joseph had, had children, had children after Jesus was born. Uh, this is maybe Joseph died. Uh, you know, when, when Jesus was young, they mar- remarried. So maybe this is like a, a half brother. Maybe this is something, but this is a, a familial relation uh, to Jesus, a brother of Jesus. And, and uh, so when we, when we think about James, we picture a guy who would have grown up with Jesus, who would have spent a lot of time with Jesus, um, who would have seen Jesus in the day-to-day, in the regular life stuff. 
Uh, and and so, so, so this is a guy that had a lot of experience with Jesus because he's his brother. And I don't know what that would be like for you. So I, I've, I've got a younger brother myself, David. He lives in Colorado. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I, was, I tried to be a good brother, but, man, I knew I wasn't. What would it be like to have your older brother be Jesus, right? And what it would be to try to live up to that, right? So, so Jesus never gets in trouble. He does everything right. And then you're, and you're, you're the younger brother. Uh, and so, man, I can't get away with anything. My big brother's Jesus. Um, Mary's like, man, why can't you be more like Jesus? But I can't. I, can't. I literally can't. Um, so so this, this, is, this is James's life. Can I give you an idea? Man, he, he would have known Jesus well, spent a lot of time uh, with Jesus. Uh, James also, we know, uh, we know from the New Testament, was an eyewitness to the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, you have the oldest text in your New Testament uh, is a creed of the early church that's, that Paul quotes there in 1 Corinthians 15, where he lists all the appearances, the people that saw Jesus alive after being dead. So we talk about Jesus went to the cross for us and he died. And that's only half the good news, right? Uh, if Jesus was still dead, that's not really good news for us. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, he conquered death so that when he promises eternal life to you, you can take it to the bank. Because he rose from the dead, right? And also in his raising from the dead, he confirmed everything that he said was true. It's one thing to claim that you're the son of God. It's one thing to make these claims. Like if you put your trust in me, I'll make you right with God. If you trust in me, you'll have eternal life. It's one thing to say that. But man, when he rose from the dead, he proved it. He proved he was who he says he was. So James is listed there in 1 Corinthians 15 as one of the eyewitnesses, listed by name as an eyewitness to seeing Jesus alive after being dead. Eyewitness to the resurrection, or what, what we call in the Bible an apostle. Uh, apostle, An eyewitness uh, to, to, to the resurrected Christ. Um, he, was a, he was a leader there of the early church uh, in Jerusalem. James likely was not even a believer in the the resurrection. And I get that, right? Man, if you grow up with a guy, like, like I grew up with my brother, and we, we lived in the same house for years and years and years, and then one day your brother's like, I'm the son of God, by the way. I'm the Messiah. Now, and, you know, that's, that's tough, right? That's tough for you to swallow. Like, man, I knew you win. Like, like, we used to play Beyblades together, whatever the you know, first century equivalent was. We used to play rocks and sticks together. Or, uh, kick the... I don't know what. Um, we go fishing together, right? Uh, and now, now, you're, now you're saying you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. So James likely was not even a believer until the resurrection, until he saw with his own eyes uh, Jesus alive after being dead. Uh, and then he said, I'm all in. I am all in. I'm all in. And he became a leader there in the early church. Uh, this is James. So who is James written to? Who is James written to? Uh, you know, James, James writes his letter, and it says, uh, it says here, um, written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, James is being written to uh, Jewish Christians who have been scattered Scattered throughout the nations, you know, through, through persecution, through hardship. Uh, and if you notice, when James introduces himself at the very beginning of the letter, uh, he, does not, um, he doesn't call on any of these things to give himself a greater air of authority. He doesn't say, James, the brother of Jesus, eyewitness of the resurrection. He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm, I'm James, a servant. I'm James... A slave. He could have said, man, I was a brother of Jesus. I know Jesus well. He didn't say that. Say, man, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I'm an apostle. He doesn't say that. I'm a, I'm a church leader. He doesn't say that. Hey, I'm James, a servant. And that's humility, right? I'm James. I'm just a servant of God. I'm just a, a slave to God, and I'm a servant of Jesus. That's who I am. That's all you need to know about me. And he says, I'm writing this letter to the 12 tribes that are scattered, uh, scattered uh, throughout the world. Um, Jewish Christians have been scattered throughout the world by persecution. 
uh, Jewish people would come to Christ, they'd become Christians, uh, and they'd be persecuted um, in all kinds of different ways. So they would flee, uh, and, and they'd end up scattered I mean, throughout, the, throughout the, the region, throughout the world. Uh, and so, so you've got this letter being written to these people. Uh, and, you know, some of them are brand new Christians, some have been Christians for a few years. Uh, but, but, but these Jewish Christians are going through struggles. They're going through difficulties. So they're trying to figure out, man, how do I live for God uh, with this newfound freedom in Christ? This freedom from the old ceremonial uh, Jewish law. Um, what does it mean to live in a way that pleases God now that I'm no longer bound by these ceremonial laws? How do I live in a way that honors God? How do I live in a way that honors God in a culture that does not honor God? Right? How do I honor God, live in a way that pleases God? Um, you know, and, and I'm in a culture that doesn't serve the Lord. And when I'm in a culture where there's constant persecution, uh, there's constant temptation to sin. You know, some of them were, were, were in cultures where uh, man, sin would have been rampant. Idol worship would have been rampant. Um, and, and sometimes involved in that idol worship would be, would be prostitution and sexual sin and all these kind of things. Uh, the temptation for sin would be great. Uh, the persecution for being a believer uh, would be great. So you've got these Jewish Christians asking, man, what does it mean to live for God in this culture? Man, what does it mean to live a life that honors God, that pleases God in this culture? Can anyone relate to that? Right? This was written in the first century. But can anyone in 2017 relate to that? Is anyone, uh, you know, would you say this culture that we're in today is one where it's difficult to know how best to live a life that pleases God uh, in a culture that does not care to please God? In a culture that, would you say this culture is one that would, would, would criticize, would persecute you if you try to take a biblical stand on a controversial issue? Yeah, a little bit, right? A little bit. Would you say that this, this is a culture where there's temptation is rampant? The temptation to sin, the temptation to live in a way that does not please God is available here and here and here and here? Yeah. So, so this letter, man, written to these Jewish Christians scattered throughout the world, uh, and is, is super fitting for us today. And that's why we're studying. That's why we're going to unpack it over these next couple weeks. Um, because, man, the stuff that they were struggling with, it's the exact same stuff we're struggling with 2,000 years later. And what does it mean to be a Christian in a culture that is not Christian? You know, what does it mean to, to live for God even though I'm going to get criticized, I'm going to get persecuted? What does it mean to make a stand for what I believe in even when it's uncomfortable, when it's difficult? Uh, how do I live for God in the midst of so much temptation to sin? Um, so the first section of James we're looking at tonight deals with, like I said, trusting God through trials and difficulties. So let's take a look at it. We're going to be in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. James 1, starting in verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So this is counterintuitive. When he says, man, when you are suffering, when you're in the middle of difficulties and struggles, man, count it as pure joy. Consider it pure joy. And, and you're thinking, that's the opposite of what I consider, right? That's the complete opposite of what I'm thinking when I'm in the middle of persecution, when I'm in the middle of a struggle, when everything's hard, when stuff's physically hard or relationally hard or financially hard uh, or educationally hard and, and I'm struggling uh, and, and the Bible's telling me to count it all joy, um, Man, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? There is someone that God intends for us to be. There's someone that God intends for me to be. I'm not there yet. Right? There's someone that God intends for you to be. And what James is saying here is that God uses these difficult situations, these difficult seasons to shape and mold you into that person that he wants you to be. 
And he uses these situations to make you into that man of God, that woman of God that he wants you to be. You're not there yet. I'm definitely not there yet. Right? But, but he's working in these situations. Not to say that God created these difficult situations or that God sent this difficult situation. But man, he's sure going to use it. He said, you're in it anyway. I'm going to use it to stretch you, to build endurance, to build your character, to make you more mature in your faith. I'm going to use this difficult situation to test you, to refine you, to grow you, to mature you, to make you better. God wants to mature us. He wants to develop uh, perseverance. He says, man, when that perseverance, when that endurance is fully developed in you, uh, then you're going to be perfect. Then you're going to be mature. You're going to be lacking nothing. God's goal for you in those difficult situations uh, is he's going to help you get through it. But he wants to work in those to grow endurance in you so that you can be a mature believer. You can be a genuine, authentic Christian. It's like Joseph said. If you guys are familiar with the story of Joseph in Genesis, uh, man, Joseph had a rough time. And I would, I would gather probably none of y'all on your worst day has had it like Joseph had. Joseph, uh, man, was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, and he, he worked as, as a slave for a while. Uh, he worked his way up the ranks. And then uh, his, his, his master, servant master's wife uh, accused him of rape, so he got thrown in a dungeon for years. He spent years in a dungeon, innocent, he didn't do it, right, but he was falsely accused, and he spent years in the dungeon, uh, and, and, and eventually, man, God, God worked through that, his time there in prison, uh, he, he made some friends with, with uh, the cupbearer of the king, of Pharaoh, uh, when that guy got out, he said, hey, remember me, right, and uh, he, God had given him a gift for, for dream interpretation, and so Pharaoh had a dream. Uh, no one could interpret it. The cupbearer remembered, oh yeah, there's a guy in your dungeon that, that has a knack for that. Uh, they bring Joseph out. Uh, long story short, Joseph gets so much favor. Uh, he becomes the governor of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. God raises him to a position of power and influence, uses him uh, man, to bless his family, to save his family from a famine, to, to, to bless the whole nation. Um, God uses it in a powerful way. And at the end of Joseph's story, reflecting back on all the bad stuff that had happened to him, uh, man, Joseph says... And you meant it for evil. Meaning the people that had sold him into slavery, his brothers. uh, You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And and I want each of you guys to be able to look back at your own life, your own struggles, your own difficulties. Be like, in this situation, maybe maybe it's someone personal. Personally persecuting you, personally making your life difficult. Say, man, they meant it for evil, but God, I'm trusting you're going to use it for good. Or it may be an impersonal struggle. It may be just... Man, a difficult season, difficult season with your health, difficult season with finances, or family stuff that's out of your control, relationship stuff that's out of your control, and say, man, this situation is tough and difficult, but God, you meant it for good. Maybe you didn't, God, you didn't, I'm not saying you caused it or you sent it, but you're going to use it for my good. Um, And so so that's what James is saying here. God's going to use these situations to develop perseverance, develop endurance, and you shape and mold you into the person that you want to be. Our faith is never going to be strong unless it's tested. You're not going to be a mature Christian without going through struggles. No one wants struggles. Like, if you could sign me up for an easy, carefree life where I never struggled, I never had to deal with temptation or persecution or difficulty, man, sign me up. But your faith is never going to be strong without it. Um, And James says, man, that's why when you do do go through those struggles, man, count it pure joy. Consider it joy. Uh, Our faith is never going to be strong until it's tested. Think about this, the things of this world that are of great value. The things of this world that are extremely valuable are things that are either created by uh, intense pressure and heat and struggle, or they're refined by those things. If you think about a diamond, how a diamond's made. Intense heat, intense pressure, 
over years and years and years and years and years, right? Uh, I mean, it's not comfortable being made into a diamond, I would imagine, for a cold, <laughs> cold diamond. I mean, they don't feel, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, or think about how a pearl is made through constant irritation and struggle. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the clam creates this, this pearl. Think about how precious metals, gold and silver, are refined and made pure. It's through heat and heat and heat and straining and pulling out all the dross, all the other stuff, and then more heat is applied, and then you strain it out again until it's pure. Uh, valuable things, man, they, they've got to go through a lot to reach that place. And your faith is the same way. It's got to be tested to be made stronger. It's got to be tested to be made more pure, more valuable, more precious to God, more real. Man, you don't even know if you've got real faith in God until you go through a struggle. It's one thing to say you have faith in God, but, but can you still trust God? Can you still believe in God? Can you still praise God when the situation is not good? On the bad day when it's hard, can I still say, God, you're good? Even though today is terrible, God, you're still good? That's how you know, man, when, when your faith's been tested, you know your, your, uh, your, your faith is real. My dad is an engineer. He works for a company called Thomas & Betts uh, in Collierville. And so he is an engineer and designs electrical uh, conduits and floor boxes and outlets and things. So if you had like, you've seen like in, in the ground where you flip the thing up and there's like electrical outlets in the ground. So he designs those uh, in a way that they, will, that they will endure, that they will last. He creates prototypes. And those prototypes he makes have to be tested. They want to test, is this thing going to do well in extreme heat? In extreme cold, in extreme pressure, uh, I mean, it goes through all kinds of testing, and only if it passes all those tests is it allowed to be an actual product that people can buy and put in their buildings, right? So, and, and he, when he describes the testing that these products go through, they're extremely strenuous. They're facing heat and cold temperatures that do not even exist on Earth, right? Cannot, cannot be duplicated in the real world. They're facing pressure and strain just because they want to know it's strong. They want to know it's strong enough to do the job, so they're going to test it. Your faith is the same way. One of the, one of the things God does with difficult seasons uh, is he tests your faith so that it can be strong. He can build endurance in you. Um, so if we understand that God is using our difficult situations to shape us, to mold us, and to be the people he wants us to be, that's going to help us to trust him in the middle of that situation. So, so God, I mean, I don't know why you're making me go through this. I don't know why. And I wish you'd get me out of it, but I do trust that you're using it to make me better. If I can't say anything else about it, I can say that. God, I trust that you're at work in this thing uh, to make me better, make me more mature, to grow my faith, to grow my perseverance. Uh, and then there's going to be peace and encouragement that comes from resting in that trust. And like the song we sang about tonight, come rest in me. That's what God's saying. Uh, that you're in the middle of a fight, you're in the middle of a struggle, and, and the struggle may last a while longer, but you don't have to go through it alone. You can rest in God, you can trust in God, that God's at work uh, in that situation. So another thing that we need to navigate the trials of life, we need wisdom from the Lord, right? I mean, sometimes when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, it's hard to know what the best decision to make is, what the right thing to do is. Uh, when you're in the middle of a tough season, um, man, man, it's hard to know how best to get out of that situation or how to navigate that situation. So James continues uh, in verse 5 and says that in these situations, we need to ask God for help. Continuing in verse 5, if any lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. To navigate our difficulties and our trials, we need wisdom from the Lord. We need His perspective on things to keep us from getting discouraged 
his perspective to know what is best and not just what seems best to us. And I've had a lot of situations, I'm sure you have too, where something seemed best and it was not best. Right? Something seemed good and then once I had it, it was not good. Now we need God's perspective, God's wisdom to, to help us to make those choices. What, what, God, what do you think is best? Dad, what do you think is best? Not just what seems right to me. We need his strength uh, and, and part, part, w- along with his wisdom to help us to keep him from getting overwhelmed in those tough situations. You know, there's so many situations in life where we don't know what to do. You know, we don't know what the best situation is. We don't know what the best choice is. We need God's wisdom. We need God's direction. And here James promises that if we ask God for that, if you ask God for wisdom, he gives it generously, generously. And that's a promise. There's not a promise I can point to in your Bible that God's going to make you a millionaire. It doesn't exist. Don't don't even look for it. It's not there, right? Uh, There's not a promise I can point to, I don't know, that that you're going to have, you know, seven kids and a perfect house and, you know, whatever. Those aren't promises in the Bible. But this is a promise. James says if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it generously, period. If you lack wisdom, and I'm going to raise my hand, that's me. I lack wisdom often. He says we can ask God and God will give you wisdom generously. That's something God wants to do. He wants us to call up for him and say, say, God, I need direction. I need guidance. Um, your Bible is full of promises that God will guide you, that he will direct you, you know, that he'll anoint your steps, that he'll direct your paths again and again and again. You see it repeated in Scripture. God wants to guide you. He does not want you stumbling around in the dark. Sometimes you guys feel like you're, I'm just kind of bumbling through life. I'm just kind of, kind of feeling my way through the darkness. That's not what God has for you. And he, he, he wants to light the way. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. And he says, if you ask me, I'm going to show you. If you ask me for wisdom, I'm going to give it to you. And give it to you generously. Now, I'm not going to fault you for asking. I'm not going to be like, why do you need wisdom? Right? Or, I mean, you should know how to do that anyway. No. I mean, in the same way, my own, my own kids ask for help about stuff. I know that they're out of their depth then. I'm not like, man, you should be able to do that. You're what, six? You, know, you, can, you can figure out how to make your own dent. No. Like, like if my kids need help, I'm going to help them. In the same way, when God sees us, man, he, he has love towards us. He has mercy on us. When we ask him, God, I need wisdom. I do not know what to do. God, help me. James says, you've got a promise here that God will answer that prayer. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you direction. And he says, when we ask, we need to be careful we ask and don't doubt. We need to ask and really trust God. Make sure that our trust is in God and not in our own ability, not in our own understanding. That we're not just trusting in, like I said, what seems right to us. Like, God, guide me and direct me, but I really want to go this way, so no matter what you say, I'm going this way. He says, don't do that. When you ask... And really trust the Lord. Ask and don't doubt. Put your full trust. God, I trust you. I need you in this situation. I'm trusting you to guide me. Um, we need to rely on God's strength and wisdom uh, and not doubt, not rely on our own understanding. James says when you do that, when you rely on your own ability, your own understanding, you're like a wave tossed back and forth. Some of you guys have been to the beach. Maybe some of you guys went to the beach for spring break. I don't know that anyone in this room did. But, uh, but some of you guys have at least seen a beach or, or been to the ocean. Uh, and, and, and if you witnessed the water, been there, there's something the, the waves, the waves, the tide does every day, twice a day. You know, the waves come in and the waves go out. The waves come in and they go out. And they do that over and over again, like until the end of the world, I guess. They just keep going in and out back and forth and so James man he man he would have lived there 
uh, in Israel. They're near, near lots of seas, lots of big lakes, Mediterranean seas right there. Man, he would have seen this. The waves go in, the waves go out. And he says, when you try to navigate life just trusting in your own ability, not trusting in God, and that's all doubt is, not trusting God. When you just go trusting your own ability, your life is just going to go back and forth, back and forth. If you use a modern example, it's going to just be a carousel just going in circles and circles and circles. It's not going to get anywhere. You need God to direct you. You need God to guide you. If you just try to go on what seems best to you, you're going to find yourself in the same cycles again and again. Find yourself like that wave, just tossed back and forth by your own emotions. Because what seems right to you today, you're going to hate it tomorrow, right? What seems good right now isn't going to seem good to you the next day. If we let our own emotions guide us, then we're going to be all over the place. Because our emotions, uh, man, they, they're, they're different each day. They're often contradictory with themselves. And if we try to be led by our own desires, our own emotions, our own feelings, uh, man, it's going to lead us in a mess. It's going to lead us all over the place. If we, if we don't trust God through trials, man, that's going to be our default. We're just going to trust our own impulses. We're going to trust our own emotions, uh, like I said, which are all over the place, often contradictory, and that's going to lead us into greater frustration. That's the reality. We're either going to allow ourselves to be led by God and His wisdom, or we're going to be led by our own desires. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, says about the human heart, that your heart, not your, not your blood-pumping organ, but your, and your emotions... Your, your heart is deceitful. It means it lies to you. It's deceitful above all else. Who can know it? No one can know it. Your heart, your emotions lie to you more than anything else in this world. And there, there's a lot of stuff lying to you in this world. And your, your heart lies to you the most. Your emotions lie to you the most. They tell you, man, you're happy one day. You're depressed the next day. I'm angry in this moment. I'm ecstatic in this moment. They're all over the place. So you cannot build your life on a foundation like that, Right? You've got to trust in God. He says you've got to trust God and not doubt because, because if your life is not being led by the Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're not, not following after Jesus, trusting in God, you're going to be like that wave tossed around. Your life's going to be an absolute mess. So we talked about um, and trusting God because of having his perspective that he's, that he's at work in that trial to make me better. We talked about um, you know, asking God for wisdom to help me get through the trial. Uh, and then the third thing we're going to talk about, another big part of enduring trials, is just having contentment. Having contentment from the Lord. Being thankful for what you have, enjoying what God has given you, instead of focusing on the circumstances and focusing on what you don't have. And that's tough. Man, I know that's tough. When you're in the middle of a difficult situation, you want to be like, man, oh, man why is Chris not got it as bad as I got it, right? Why is Devontae having such an easy time? Man, why is Leroy over here able to pay every single one of his bills and have money left over? And I've still got like... Several days left in this month and no more money, right? Like, we, we look at other people, we look at the situation, we look at the circumstances, and we're not content, right? And so, so the next thing James encourages us, man, when we're trusting God through these trials, uh, is to learn contentment. Man, don't focus on those circumstances. Don't focus on what you don't have, and certainly don't focus on other people. Continuing in verse 9, James says this. He says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast about how God has humbled them. They will fade away like the flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. James reminds us we've got to have a biblical perspective on wealth and on status and on stuff. We've got to have God's perspective, not uh, Western culture, consumer culture's perspective. 
And your culture's perspective, uh, here in the United States, 2017, Western culture is uh, consumerism. And how much stuff can I accumulate? Can I get the biggest house on my block? Can I get the fanciest car, at least fancier than my neighbor's? Uh, and can I have the fattest 401k, the biggest savings account? Can I have the tower of money like Scrooge McDuck so I can swim in it? Uh, can I have just more and more stuff? Uh, and, and then my life is successful, meaningful, purposeful if I have all these things. Uh, James says, whoa, hold it. That is not a biblical perspective of wealth. What's the biblical perspective of wealth? And none of this stuff is going to last and you can't take it with you. Right? When you die, man, where's all that stuff going to go? I guess if somebody else gets it, right? You worked hard your whole life for it, and then you die, and then it just goes to someone else who didn't work as hard as you for it, I guess. Uh, but you certainly can't take it with you. And, and you can't, like, buy salvation. Jesus can't be bribed. You can't say, God, I made a lot of money, so man, I didn't have as much time to pray or read the Bible, but, dude, I made bank. Can I get into heaven? No, he's not impressed by that, right? God, God owns the whole universe. However much money you made is not going to impress him. Uh, but James says, man, have a, have a biblical perspective of wealth, have a biblical perspective of status. You know, one of the things that causes us to struggle in our trials is comparing ourselves to others who seem to have it better or who seem to have it easier. But James reminds us that in the kingdom of God, things are different and things are often reversed of the culture. If you guys remember the teachings of Jesus, Jesus says it's the poor who are blessed. He says, man, blessed are the poor. It's the rich that have a difficult time coming to God. The rich, Jesus says for the rich man, it's really tough to come to God. Not impossible, but it is tough. Like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle, that's how tough it is for a rich man to come to God. Why is it so hard for the rich person to come to God? They've got everything they need. Why do they need God? You know, I'll just buy it with money. If I need it, I buy it. Um, and it's hard for them to understand that they need to put a trust in something greater than themselves. For the poor person who's, who's desperate, who's at the end of the rope, man, they get it. God, I need you. I can't do this life without you. He says, man, for the poor, it's blessed. They're spiritually sensitive, Right? God can get a hold of their life, and they can give themselves totally to the Lord. But for the rich person, it's difficult. So he says, man, the poor, and they've got something to boast about. God has blessed them. God has honored them. Jesus says another thing, that the people that are last, last in the culture, last financially, figure out what you, know, what, what you think of as last. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And he says, that's what my kingdom's like. So, so you guys, while you're fighting so hard and killing each other to, to get the biggest house, to get the most stuff... Uh, one day you're going to die, and then you're going to find in my, in my kingdom, the last are at the front of the line. And whoever was first, whoever had the highest status, who had the most stuff, they're going to be at the very bottom, if they're in it all. Uh, he says, man, man don't, don't devote your life to these things, because it's a waste. He says these things are fleeting, like a flower in the field, man. It's there today, uh, but then you get a really hot, sunny day, and it withers up, it shrivels up. Like the grass in the field, man, it's there for a season, then it dries up, it withers up. Um, he says, 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 your life is, is not going to last that long. And the stuff you have, man, one day it's going to be all gone. Uh, you can't put your trust in those kind of things. Instead, our trust has to be in the Lord. Trust has to be in the Lord. We're reminded here that wealth and privilege in this life is fleeting. And we shouldn't put our hope in it. It's fleeting. It's not going to be there. You can't count on it. We shouldn't put our hope in it. But instead, put our hope in the God who's never going to let you down. Not ever. The God that you can count on. The God that you can depend on. Um, both in this life and eternal life afterward. Uh, the God that's always going to be there for you. Instead of trusting in temporary things like wealth, like social standing and status, uh, we should focus on eternal things instead. So, so again, we're talking about enduring struggles, enduring trials, and, and the way that we can trust God through those trials. 
is to fake, taste our, take our focus off of the circumstance itself. Take our focus off man, what we lack, what we don't have. Instead, put our focus on the Lord. Put our focus on eternal things, things that have eternal value. Um, man, I can make a lot of money, but then I can spend a lot of money or it could disappear or I could get sick and the hospital takes all my money or, or this or that. Uh, you know, or, or I can, can focus on a relationship with God and that relationship with God is eternal, right? I could focus on and leading other people to Christ and discipling the people around me because when those souls man, come to God, uh, when those souls come to Jesus, them I can take with me, right? I can't take my house with me or my car or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, the people I lead to Christ, those I can take with me. Those can go to heaven, right? So if we focus on eternal things, things that matter, not just in the here and now, but will matter for eternity, um, that's the kind of perspective that we should have. And so with this last verse we're looking at tonight, we're going to close with verse 12 here. Uh, he's encouraging us to take our focus off the temporary things and set focus on eternal things, like the reward of everlasting life that he promises when we persevere in our faith with Christ. Let's look at it. James chapter 1, verse 12. This will be our last verse. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. He says, God's going to bless you when you patiently endure this season of struggle. Whatever this test is, whatever this trial is, this persecution, this temptation. Uh, and if you endure through it, there's going to be blessing for that. An eternal blessing, an eternal reward. He describes it as a crown of life. For us in heaven. What does that look like? Man, I have no idea. I don't know better than you do. Uh, but but it, it's a thing that God promises us. A crown of life, eternal reward uh, in heaven and for, for our endurance here on earth. Um, and, and part of that, part of that crown uh, of life is the eternal life man, we have uh, in God. If, we, if we, we focus on Jesus, we put our trust in Jesus and not in ourselves. And, uh, and allow, allow God to forgive our sins and make us right with himself. We can endure the trials and suffering of this life because we know that they're only temporary. This life is not all there is. When you're in the middle of a struggle, sometimes, sometimes that could be the most encouraging sentence you can tell yourself when you're in the middle of a fight, when you're in the middle of all you can see is the problems, all you can see is the dilemma. Say, man, this life is not all there is. What I can see around me, uh, and the, the problems I'm, I'm struggling against, this is not all there is. And in fact, eternity is going to make this seem like man, a drop in the bucket, like nothing. The, the, the eternity I have with God is going to make the 50, 60, 70, 80 years I have on this earth that's often a struggle, often a fight, um, it's going to be like nothing compared to that. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us the span of your entire life compared to eternity is like a vapor. It's there for a second and gone. It's like when you step out on a cold day and you breathe and you see your breath for a second and then it's gone. The Bible says your whole life is like that compared to eternity. Like your whole life on this earth is just and gone. And so, so, man, we need to put our focus on eternal things. Eternal things. And, and not focus on these temporary things. Uh, man, in light of the gospel, in light of the Bible, um, we can endure because we have a God that understands. And we can go through these struggles. We can go through these trials uh, because we have a God that is, understands, who's empathetic. Uh, so, some, sometimes we, man, when we're, we're going through a hard time and, and we'll pray, God, God, you don't, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. Uh, and you don't know what it's like. Um, but man, we know for sure that God does know what it's like because of Jesus. Because God became a human being and stepped into human history 2,000 years ago. And he did the whole human experience thing. All the struggles, all the fights, all the trials. He did it. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every way that you are. Every way. 
He didn't sin. He didn't give in to it. But he knows what it is to be tempted. He knows the pull to, man, I want to do this thing that I know is wrong so bad. I want to do this thing that I know God hates so bad. He knows that pull. He knows that fight. He knows what it is to be criticized, to be persecuted, to be hated, to be physically beaten because people didn't like him and didn't like what he said. Uh, man, he, he can relate. And, and so when we're going through trials and struggles, uh, man, take comfort in that too, that you've got a God that can relate. And Jesus knows what it is. He suffered as well. And he suffered and even, even died. Not, not one of us in this room has is, is, is died because of our faith died because of our faith in God, or, and I guess most of you have probably not been beaten or whipped or tortured either. Uh, but man, Jesus was willing to do all that for you. He was willing to suffer uh, for you uh, so, so that he could relate, so he could be, be that high priest that could understand what you're going through. Um, and so, so if you have never, uh, man, never heard about Jesus in this way or, or never put your trust in God this way, put your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save you and make you right with God, man, we're going to have a chance to pray uh, about that in a minute. Um, and if you maybe you've been a Christian a while, but but you've maybe not really reflected on man, all the stuff that Jesus suffered and endured uh, for us, and and the, and the encouragement we can take from that, knowing that God understands, God can relate. God's been tempted. God's been. Jesus has been tempted. Uh, Jesus has suffered, uh, and He's going to give us the strength. He's going to help us as we're suffering as well. So concluding with this, part of being an authentic Christian. So in this series, we're talking about having authentic faith. Part of being an authentic Christian is being able to suffer well, to be able to endure trials and be able to rely on God. Instead of complaining, that's, that's what we do instead, right? We complain a lot about it. I mean, I'm in the trial, so I'm going to vent, I'm going to complain. I'm, ah. So instead of complaining, instead of compromising, instead of giving in or buckling under the weight of it, uh, buckling under the pressure, James says we can endure trials if we trust in the Lord. We can endure trials if, one, we have the right perspective. That God is using this situation to make me who He wants me to be. We can endure trials if, two, we rely on His wisdom to guide us and not our own emotions. James says, man, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it generously. Do it this week. Do it this week. Say, God, do it every time you pray. God, I like wisdom. I need some wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your direction. And third, he says you can endure trials by focusing on eternal things instead of just your temporary troubles. And I know, and that's not to make light of the struggle. That's not to make light of whatever situation you're in. And some of you guys are in a situation that is an absolute mess, uh, and you have no idea what to do, and it's incredibly hard. So not, not to make light of it, but no matter how difficult it is, it is only temporary. And so if we could have that focus that, God, this life is not all there is. You have an, an everlasting life in heaven with me where there's going to be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. Just getting to enjoy God forever. And if we focus on that, man, we can, we can endure those trials. We can be encouraged. And the peace that that's going to give you, man, if you really man, allow those things uh, man, to, to, to take root in your life, when you go through difficult situations, uh, and again, becoming a Christian, being an authentic Christian, doesn't mean make life any easier. Life is still every bit the fight it is for everybody else. But God's going to help you through it. God's going to give you peace through it. And that peace that you have in the middle of it is going to make the gospel appealing to the people around you. It's going to make Jesus attractive to the people around you, to your roommates, to your classmates, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, the people around you that don't know God, that don't know Jesus. When they see how you suffer and you've got a peace from God, uh, that's going to make Jesus appealing to them. They're going to say, Anna, I know you're in the middle of an incredibly difficult situation, but man, you still got joy. You still got peace. You're not biting everyone's head off. You're not complaining. 
What in the world? What? Tell me what's different. Now, what do you have that I don't have? I need it. I want it. Whatever you have, I want it. And when, when, we, when we can endure through trials, and when we've got that peace of God because we're doing James 1, uh, it's going to make the gospel attractive to the people around us. They're going to want to know what you have, and it's going to create opportunities for you to share Jesus, to share the hope that you found in Jesus, the peace uh, that you found in Jesus to the people around you. So, if you claim to have faith in God, then your life should not look like everybody else's, right? Uh, and we shouldn't struggle like everybody else. Christians should struggle differently. Authentic faith should look different when it's tested in the middle of a trial. So when you go through hard times, man, let your life look different. And turn, turn to God and say, God, I need help with this. I need you to help me. Uh, help me not to, not to complain, not to, not to get sour, not to get bitter, but help me to trust you. Uh, and, and help me to navigate this thing and help me to and experience your peace and your rest in the middle of it. And the way that we suffer through trials and difficulties is going to point people towards God. It's going to glorify God. It's going to honor God. It's going to please God. That may be something weird to think about. The way you suffer can please God. But man, if you're going through a struggle uh, and you're not giving into temptation and sin and, and you're, you're keeping your focus on the Lord and eternal things, man, that makes I mean, God's proud. God's happy. God's pleased with that. And I want to live the kind of life that pleases God, right? When, I, when I'm going through the fight, when I'm going through the struggle, uh, I want to make sure that I'm trusting God, I'm honoring God, and I'm not, I'm not falling away from God. Because, uh, man, sometimes that's what, that's what the trial will make you do. Sometimes you're in the struggle and we distance ourselves from God because we're, 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 so, we're so wrapped up in it. Um, but, but instead, man, our trials should drive us closer to God. God, I need you more in this situation because it's hard, because it's difficult. Amen? So I want to pray for you guys. Uh, three things. Now, first, uh, like, like I said, if you have never... Put your trust in Jesus in the way that I described. Put your trust in Jesus to, to save you from your sins, to make you right with God, so you can have a relationship with God. Uh, to trust not in your own ability to do right and please God, but trust in what Jesus did and what he did for you on the cross to make you right with God. Uh, if you never prayed that, I want to give you a chance to pray that uh, tonight and put your trust in God uh, and, and receive his gift of forgiveness, of newness of life, of eternal life in heaven. Um, some of you guys... Uh, are, are going through trials right now and say, man, I need help trusting God in the middle of this trial. I need help trusting God in the middle of this really difficult season, this really difficult situation. Uh, I want to pray for you. And those of you guys that, that would say, man, that's me. I lack wisdom. I need God to give me wisdom. I've got a decision I need to make um, and I have no idea which, which is best. I may have a hundred different choices. There may just be two choices, but I, you know, I got maybe one that seems better to me, or I'm really not sure. I need the wisdom of God. I need the wisdom of God. Um, just to show hands, you would say, man, that's me. I need God's wisdom about something in my life right now. I, I would guess, yeah, probably most of us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's come to the Lord about that. Um, praise you, God. Praise you, God. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter uh, of James and this encouragement, God, to be authentic Christians with authentic faith that pleases you, that honors you, God. That when we struggle, when we go through difficulties, our life can look different than the next guy's life because we have faith in you. God, if there's anyone in here tonight that has uh, man, never, never put their trust in you, uh, never asked you, Jesus, to save them from their sins and make them right with God, if there's anyone in here tonight that says, Matt, that's me, I know I need to pray that, I know I need to do that, would you pray with me? Uh, would you just raise your hand real quick? I'd love to pray with you tonight. Just raise your hand and say, Matt, would you pray with me? Thanks, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Say, Matt, would you pray with me? I need to put my trust in Jesus tonight. Thank you, I see those hands. There's a few of you. Well, just pray along. I'm going to pray out loud. And you guys just pray along to God in your heart.
God, I admit my need for you. God, I can't save myself. I can't fix my life on my own. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for me. Right now, I put my trust, not in my own ability, but I put my trust completely in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross to save me and make me right with you, God. Jesus, would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? Help me to follow you from this day forward. Let me live a life that pleases you, God. God, I accept your free gift of forgiveness. God, would you come and wash me clean, create me a new heart, make me brand new. Give me a brand new life, a fresh start to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me from this day forward to live a life that pleases you and honors you. Help me to follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God, for those that are in the middle of a trial, God, 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 even right now, they would say, man, I'm right in the middle of a really difficult situation, a difficult season, um, and stuff is, is tough emotionally, uh, financially, and I'm going through health difficulties, family difficulties. God, you see all of it. You know what it is. Um, and God, I pray for those that are in the middle of that situation right now. Um, again, everyone's eyes are closed. No one's looking around. You say, man, that's me. Would you pray for me? I'm in the middle of a really tough situation, and I could use, your, use some extra prayer. Thank you. I said, a bunch of hands, a bunch of hands on that one. Well, God, God, you see these people. You see what they're going through. Um, how would you be encouragement to them? How would you be encouragement to them? Would you lift burdens off their shoulders that you don't intend for them to carry, God? Would they experience just the lightness and the rest of you, the peace of God that passes all understanding in the middle of this struggle, God? God, would you help them to be able to see the ways you're working in this struggle to shape and mold them and increase their perseverance? It's not fun and we don't enjoy it, but God, let us rejoice in what you're doing, that you're maturing us, you're making us better. God, help help them to to, to, to navigate it, make tough decisions, God. God, help them to focus on eternal things and not just focus on the circumstances, but God, I pray that right now you'd encourage them. God, would you reveal your love to them this week? God, let them know that they're not in it alone. God, reveal your nearness, reveal your presence to them, God. Reveal your great love to them this week, God, in Jesus' name. And finally, for all those that raise their hands saying, saying, I lack wisdom, I'm going to throw my hand up there too. God, you promised in, here in the letter of James that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you, Father, and you give generously without finding fault. And God, we just want to come to you humbly, humbly, saying we can't do this life on our own. God, I've tried life with me in the driver's seat, and I mess it up every time. God, I need your wisdom. I need your direction. I need clarity about some important decisions. Father God, would you please speak to me? Would you please guide me and direct me? The promise of your word is that the steps of the righteous person are anointed by God. We're righteous, not because of what we do, but because, Jesus, of what you did for us on the cross to make us right with God. We're your children We're your sons and daughters, God, and we trust that you're going to anoint our steps. You're going to guide us and direct us. God, give us wisdom. Give us supernatural wisdom for tough situations we need to make or tough decisions we need to make, God. Give us supernatural wisdom to navigate uh, difficult situations, Lord. We need you, God. We don't know what's best, but we trust that you do, Dad. Whatever whatever you think is best, Father, we trust you, Lord. We trust you, God. Bless and encourage the students, God. Help them in every way, God. God, would you continue to bless the ministry of Kyle to help us to grow, help us to love one another, be there for one another. We'd encourage one another when going through trials and difficulties, that we'd speak up and reach out and admit that we need help to each other, God. And we'd be brothers and sisters that would love each other, undergird each other, help each other. 
whatever that looks like, God, we'd really love each other. God, would you develop authentic faith in us? God, we don't want to be fake. God, you know the world's got enough hypocrites already. God, would you develop us, make us genuine, true, mature Christians. Give us an authentic faith in you, God, that's been tested, that's been refined, that'll endure, that'll last, God. That's what we want. A life that pleases you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.